Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. Is there anyone that you haven't forgiven? Oh, I know you say, well, I don't know who he's preaching to today because I'm a forgiving machine. I mean, I forgive anybody and everybody. No problem here. Why criticize an angel? Well, let me dig a little deeper. Is there anyone that when you accidentally meet up with them, your insides begin to change? Maybe your heart begins to beat a little faster? Or let's say that you meet somebody in the aisle at the grocery store and suddenly you feel a tremendous urge to change aisles. Maybe it's a relative that uh, you hear they're coming to see you and you decide to take a vacation that week and be gone. Maybe it's your mother-in-law who's an angel, meaning that she's always up in the air harping about something. And (laughs) you're struggling with that. Well, all of us deal with this issue of forgiveness. And we're in a series of sermons on the bumps in life, how to handle the bumps in life, and we've been talking about the bumps that keep on bumping. Those recurring problems that cause us to lose perspective, that take the joy out of our lives, that fill our hearts with fear and anxiety. Bumps that just keep on bumping. We talked about the bump of anger, the bump of fear, Today we talk about the bump of unforgiveness. Because like fear and anger, unforgiveness takes the joy out of life and puts in its place resentment and bitterness and hate. We seethe inside. We lose our freedom. We lose our focus. You see, unforgiveness is holding on to hurt. It is refusing to let go. It is holding on to grudges. It is wanting to retaliate. It seeks revenge. Unforgiveness. It just cannot let go. On the other hand, forgiveness is the process of replacing those hurt feelings with genuine love and acceptance. In forgiveness, you cease to blame someone for a wrong. You do not seek revenge. You offer pardon. You let them off the hook. You don't try to get back at them. That's forgiveness. Let me say some things about unforgiveness, the bump that keeps on bumping. In the first place, unforgiveness is bondage. You'd be surprised how many people in this very meeting this morning are in bondage to unforgiveness. You may not know it, but it has you bound up inside. Because you see, when someone hurts you and you do not deal with that hurt appropriately and you do not extend forgiveness, what happens is you stay connected to that person. You are emotionally handcuffed to that person. And that drags you downward. Freedom comes only through forgiveness. And if you cannot let go of the hurts, if you cannot extend forgiveness to those who've hurt you, then you're going to spend your life in bondage and you'll not know freedom and fulfillment as God wants you to know it. The second thing about unforgiveness is that it creates a false sense of power. 
playing the role of a victim in one way empowers us. You get emotional support from other people who've been hurt. You tell war stories and you compare scars. And you keep those who've hurt you locked up in your mind. And you think as long as you can keep them locked up in your mind that in some way you are controlling that person. It's not true, but you think that. It's a false sense of power. The truth is you're powerless in unforgiveness. The third thing about unforgiveness is that it is hypocrisy. We who have been forgiven refuse to forgive others. We say something like this, if you knew how badly I'd been hurt, you wouldn't ask me to forgive. There's no way that I can forgive that person for what's been done to me. There's not any way that I can ever forget that. Yet, our Lord has forgiven you. And because He has forgiven us, He has commanded us to forgive other people. And here's what you need to understand. I think you know this, but I just want to remind you. No matter how badly you've been hurt, no one has ever done anything to you as bad as what you've done to God. No one will ever do anything to you as bad as what you've done against God. Did you deserve for God to get back at you? Yes. Did he? No. Instead, he forgave you. He offered you full and free forgiveness. And here's the principle. You forgive according to the degree in which you have been forgiven. You forgive others based on the degree in which you yourself have been forgiven. God has forgiven you of more than you could ever forgive anybody else of. Therefore, you are to offer to other people full and total forgiveness. And if you don't, that's hypocritical. By God's grace, vertically, we have been the recipient of forgiveness. We receive His forgiveness, but that's only half the gospel. By power, His power, horizontally, we are to forgive other people. To whom much is given, much is required. We who have been forgiven of so much have a responsibility to forgive those who have wounded us. No exceptions. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And in chapter 2 verse 13, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Now watch closely. God forgave you of all your sins, and yet you want to pick out which sins of other people you will forgive. That's hypocrisy. God forgave you of all your sins, and yet no one has ever done things toward you as badly as what you've done toward God. God forgave you all, and yet you want to choose which ones you'll forgive regarding other people. God says that's hypocrisy. God says you are forgiven. Therefore, you can forgive yourself. And you must forgive others. The next thing about unforgiveness is that it's judgmental. It puts you in a position to be judge and jury for other people. Here's the way people think. You know, I've been wronged. What that person did to me was terrible. 
And I've given God 30 days to zap that person. Evidently, God's zap angel is busy. So because I love God so much, I'm going to handle this for him. Because justice must be served. It may be that God is so busy that this person is about to go free. This person is about to get off the hook. This person hasn't paid. And this person has to pay. And I'm the only one that's going to make sure that this person pays. God says, avenge not. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. God says, judge not. And yet we find ourselves playing God in people's lives, playing the Holy Spirit in people's lives. The man saw an ad in the paper. It says, Lexus Coupe, $250. That was his dream car. And he called the number because he thought it was a misprint. And the lady said, no, you can buy the car for $250. He broke all speed laws getting to that house. It wasn't far away. He said, the first one here gets it. He got there, wrote her a check for $250. The Lexus was sitting there. It was beautiful. It even had a motor in it. Beautiful. He drove that car out of the driveway, and then it occurred to him, something's wrong with this picture. There's no way you can buy a $50,000 Lexus coupe for $250. It's impossible. Something's wrong. I can't do this. I've got to find out. Turns around and goes back to the lady, and he said, I don't understand. This car is worth so much money. You're selling it for $250. What's wrong? What's this deal? She said, my husband ran off with his secretary to Hawaii. He sent me a telegram and said, sell the Lexus and send the money to me. <laughs> That's revenge. That's retaliation. That's taking care of things for the Lord. The fifth thing is that it is harmful. It is physically, emotionally, and spiritually detrimental to your life. Unforgiveness makes you sick. It spoils your relationships. It stops your spiritual growth. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't forgive, God will seem distant. Prayer will seem dumb. The Bible will seem dull. See, some of you right now have trouble talking to God, and you don't have a clue as to why. It's because you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart. You read the Bible, and it's dull, and there's nothing there for you. And you're clueless as to why. It's because you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart. God seems distant. The Bible seems dull. Prayer seems dumb. An exercise in futility. And the root problem is unforgiveness. God says, get it out of your life. Three of the most powerful words you can ever speak are the words, I forgive you. It doesn't matter about the offense. I forgive you. Because God has forgiven me, I choose to forgive you. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Here's an illustration of this principle. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or maybe your translation says 70 times 70, are 490 times. Now, what's the situation here? The rabbi says you forgive one time when somebody wrongs you, and then if they wrong you the second time, forgive them. If they wrong you the third time, forgive them. If they do it the fourth time, go ahead and take care of the situation however you choose to. Well, now, Peter is wanting to go beyond that. 
And he's saying, the rabbi says, do it three times. I'm going to double that, that's six times, and add one to it to make it seven, the complete perfect number. How many times do I forgive somebody? Would seven be fine? Surely seven is enough. And Jesus says, no, I had more in mind 77 times or 490 times. Now, what is the Lord saying? Is he saying what you need is to get you a little notebook of wrongs? Put the person's name, and any time they wrong you, put that down, and you forgive them until you get to 70 times or 490 times, and then you stop forgiving. Is that what he's talking about? No. It doesn't have anything to do with numbers. What Jesus is saying is we forgive continually. Love doesn't count wrongs. Love doesn't keep records of wrongs. Jesus says you forgive over and over and over because I forgive you continually. You forgive other people continually. How many of you think that God forgives you only occasionally? Aren't you grateful that God forgives you over and over and over and over again? So God says, now when I forgive you continually, I'm going to expect you to forgive other people continually. And then we find an interesting parable. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. You read that and you're thinking, jerk, jerk, jerk. Here's a guy who owes ten million dollars and he can't pay it and he goes to his master and says I can't pay you that 10 million dollars but if you'll be patient I'll pay you back now the master knew that this man could never ever repay him 10 million dollars but he forgave him a 10 million dollar debt and this guy who's just been forgiven a 10 million dollar debt goes immediately and finds a guy who's one of his servants who owes him 20 bucks and grabs him by the throat, choking him, saying, you pay me my 20 bucks or you go to jail. What a jerk. Now watch what a clever thing I do in identifying you as a jerk and me. We have all done this by refusing to forgive other people. When God has forgiven us 10 million times and we refuse to forgive a guy 20 times, we are acting like a jerk. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? That's what he's saying. Shouldn't you have mercy on your friends because I've had mercy on you? Shouldn't you offer forgiveness because I've given you forgiveness? 
Shouldn't you be good to them because I've been so good to you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers, to the tormentors, until he should pay back all that he owed. Look at verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. He is saying that the forgiven must forgive. That unforgiveness is the essence of hypocrisy. God is saying, I have let you off the big hook. Don't come here telling me you can't let people off the little hooks. And my friend, as long as you live on this earth and this sinful world with selfish human beings, you will be wronged, you will be hurt. You will get hurt and you will hurt other people and there will need to be forgiveness in your life. If you're involved in any relationship, you're going to need to give and receive forgiveness. It's the plan of God. Choose to forgive. Because you have been forgiven, you can choose to forgive others. And if you don't, you will be tormented. You will be, as this man was thrown into prison, you will be imprisoned by your own unforgiveness. In other words, it will be a bump in your life that keeps on bumping. The root cause of most divorce is the bump of unforgiveness, of most problems in relationships, most problems in churches. But it doesn't have to keep on bumping. He says you can choose forgiveness. You have been forgiven. You can choose to forgive others. And he even says, I promise to empower you to do that. Now, what does forgiveness do for us? Well, first of all, it cancels your indebtedness. There are two Greek words for forgiveness. One means to release or set free, to pardon. The other word means to offer as a gift. Forgiveness. You see that word give. Forgiveness is something you offer as a gift. Not because the person has said, I'm sorry. Not because the person has tried to correct it but you let that person off that little hook because God has let you off the big hook. And by forgiving another person, what you're doing is you're bringing freedom into your own life. You're freeing yourself up inside because if you don't forgive that person, it poisons you. It holds you in bondage. You see, what we do is we think that we have to pay that person back. You say, well, this thing about forgiveness, what do you mean it cancels my indebtedness? The person owes me. No, you think that you owe that person a payback. You got me, and I'm going to pay you back. Have you ever said to your wife, what's wrong? And she says, nothing. He says, I know something's wrong. I mean, I can see it in your face. I can feel it in the air. I know something is wrong. Nothing is wrong. It must be your problem. Honey, I know something is wrong. Have I done something? Don't touch me. What is she saying? She's saying, yes, there is something wrong. You have hurt me, and I'm paying you back by distance, aloofness. Don't touch me. I'm paying you back. See, that's unforgiveness. 
you need to cancel that debt that you have to pay somebody back. That solves nothing. You see, if you don't forgive, you carry around a document in your soul that says you have to get back. God says, cancel that document. Don't get back. The second thing forgiveness does, it takes you out of the loop. It puts the ball back in God's court. You're turning it over to God where it belongs and, says, and you're saying, God, I trust you. I'm not going to handle this. I'm not going to try to pay this person back. I'm not going to try to get back at this person. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to play God in this person's life. You know what some of you need to do? You need to sit down and write a letter of resignation to God and say, Dear God, I'm giving up my control of the world and everybody's life. I'm going to quit deciding what everybody else needs to do, and I'm not going to play God or the Holy Spirit in people's lives anymore. I'm going to trust you. Put the ball in God's court. God says, you forgive that person and let me take it from that point. You see, when we get hurt, there are basically four responses to that hurt. The first response is usually retaliation. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back. I'll retaliate. I'll get back at you. Phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning and the neighbor says, your dog is barking and I cannot sleep and hangs up. You wait till 3 o'clock the next morning, call your neighbor and say, I don't have a dog. <laughs> Retaliation. The single lady that requested her pallbearers, she was dying and she requested her pallbearers be female because she said the men wouldn't take me out while I'm alive. They're certainly not going to take me out when I'm dead. <laughs> Even dying, still trying to get revenge. Retaliation. That's one response. Another response is rejection. You hurt me, I'll reject you. I'll cut you off. I'll avoid you. Here's what we say. I'll change churches. Do you know, since you brought it up, we have over 7,000 members. Some of them are not here this morning. Just a thought. It would shock you to know what little reasons people who are not in church have for not being here. And most of it has to do with some little hurt, some little slight. Their name got left out of the bulletin when they did something. Somebody didn't speak to them. Somebody said something in a Sunday school class that hurt their feelings. I want to say, get a life. But yet, that's how people do. If you hurt me, I'll reject you. I was visiting in a home, and these people considered joining our church, and they were telling me the reason they were coming to our church is because how horrible their pastor was, the church that they're coming from. They told me how bad this pastor is. I said, well, you won't be happy in our church. And they said, why? I said, because I'm just like him. Because <laughs> you see, the problem wasn't the church. I mean, they would only like me for a few months. You realize 15% of you come to church mad just looking for a way to express it? So I, sometimes I just try to give you an opportunity. But how foolish we are to let the little things of life keep us from the joy of relationships, the joy of fulfillment, and keeps us running here and there trying to change friends, change churches, when what God says is, I want to change your heart. I want to teach you to give people slack. Give people the benefit of the doubt. 
love people, forgive people. Retaliation, rejection, repression. That's denial. We stuff it inside and we deny that we've been hurt. We just stuff it. We don't deal with it. And what happens is then we build barriers. We build walls so that we keep people from getting close to us. You start trying to get close to somebody, you run into that barrier, that wall, because of repression or suppression. But there's a fourth way to handle hurt, and that's restoration. The process of forgiveness with a goal of reconciliation, of rebuilding, and of restoration. So that when you forgive and work through that relationship, the end result is that the relationship was stronger than it was even before you had the problem, the crisis. That's what God wants. He wants that in a marriage. He doesn't want you to bail out. He wants you to give forgiveness and to work through those issues. And he says if you will extend forgiveness and work through those issues, the end result is that relationship will be stronger after you've worked through the conflict than it was before. Restoration. And that involves forgiveness. And then thirdly, forgiveness forces us dependence upon God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, but you know what? That verse is very, very hard, if not impossible, to live up to without Christ's help. And that's the way it is with forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is humiliating. Forgiveness is heavy. And many of you have not forgiven for those three reasons. It's hard to say, I am wrong. It's hard to say, I'm sorry. It's hard to say, I forgive you when you're hurting so much. It's always been hard, always will be hard. I'm prejudiced, but I think I have two of the sweetest daughters God could ever give a father, and I thank God for them. But I remember how hard it was to get my girls to say, I'm sorry. I mean, anything but that. They just could not say that. I'm sorry. Why is it so hard for a child to say, I'm sorry? And then they grow up and it seems like it gets harder. And one of the reasons it's so hard is because it's humiliating, because you have to swallow pride. And pride gets in our way all the time. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Forgive me. And then it's heavy. And here's where men struggle, because men don't like to do anything that's it's heavy emotionally. They don't want to talk about problems. They want to sweep them on the rug. If you don't say anything, it'll work out. In fact, on your way home from church today, you could try an experiment. You could say, you wives could say to your husbands, you know, we don't have church tonight, so why don't we just take the afternoon and go somewhere and sit under a tree and talk about the problems in our marriage, the real issues and how we can work on them. You talk about ruining a man's day. about problems. Anything but that. It's heavy. But it's the right thing to do and the best thing you can ever do for yourself as well as for your family. When Jesus had to go to the cross so that you could be forgiven and offer forgiveness. It was hard. 
Remember what he prayed in the garden? Father, if there's any other way, it's hard to go this way. I don't want to die on that cross if there's another way. But there was no other way. He said, nevertheless, let your will be done. It was humiliating. Jesus died on the cross naked, in naked shame, on a public thoroughfare between two thieves. A man who'd never committed a sin. And he dies on a cross. A cross reserved for the most evil of men. In naked shame between two thieves. Why is he there on that cross? He is dying in humiliation so that he can offer to you forgiveness. So that you could be forgiven. And therefore you could forgive other people. He even looked down at the people who were spitting in his face and calling him names and placed the crown of thorns on his head. And he said... He looked up and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So even though it is hard and it is humiliating and it is heavy, God says, this is what you are to do. And if you do it, it'll get you out of bondage. It'll free you up inside. It'll bring you a sense of fulfillment and joy that nothing else can do. And then the fourth thing, forgiveness brings health and healing and happiness. It takes the power out of hurt. It takes the poison out of relationships. It restores us to usefulness and service. You see this man who wouldn't forgive the man that just owed him 20 bucks? And what the master wanted to do first was throw him into prison. There's no usefulness in prison. If you fail to forgive, you imprison yourself. And a lot of people are not useful to God. They're not useful to anybody because they have imprisoned themselves by unforgiveness. Forgiveness has three parts. The first part is to receive God's forgiveness. Have you done that? God says, I love you. From the cross, he says, I'm dying to take your place on this cross so that you can be forgiven. I forgive you of all your sins, every one of them, past, present, and future. Have you received God's forgiveness? Here's what I hear so many times. I've done so many bad things, I'm not sure God can forgive me. Listen to me carefully. The issue is not how bad you've been, but how good He is. The issue is not what you've done, but what He's done for you. And when he died on that cross, taking your place, he knew every sin that you would ever commit. And he took upon himself the weight of the sins of the world. Some of you feel, well, you know, I think that God has forgiven me at one point in time, but since then I've disappointed him so many times. I don't think he can keep on forgiving me. God does not deal in expectations. He has perfect knowledge. Before you were born, he knew every promise you would break, every mistake you would make, and yet he loved you unconditionally, and he forgave you completely. So you receive his forgiveness. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. Forgiveness. It's a gift of his grace and love. And you see, when you receive that forgiveness, only then can you forgive yourself. Because you see, many of you think you cannot measure up. You think you're not special. God says you're so special that Jesus was on the cross to cover your sins. So valuable that your sin debt was canceled. 
And when you realize that, you can forgive yourself. If God sees something in you that's worthy, something in you that's valuable, something in you that's significant, then you can forgive yourself. And only when you forgive yourself can you forgive other people. You receive God's forgiveness. You forgive yourself. You forgive other people. David Meese has written a song. He's a songwriter and singer, and he's written a song called My Father's Chair. And here's what it says in one verse of it. Sometimes at night I lie awake, longing inside for my father's embrace. Sometimes at night I wander downstairs and pray he'd returned, but no one was there. Oh, how I'd cry, a child all alone, waiting for him to come home. My father's chair sat in an empty room. My father's chair covered with sheets of gloom. My father's chair through all the years and all the tears. I cried in vain. No one was there in my father's chair. David Meese had his home break up when he was just a small boy. His mom and dad divorced. And the only memory of his dad was his drunken dad beating him and beating his mom. And so all of David's life, he hated his dad. And many times he'd ask God to remove that hate, thousands of times, but it was still there. And it wasn't until his father died that he began to deal with the issue in his life. It was after a concert, he was in a motel room, and all of a sudden he saw something on television, it reminded him of his dad. And all those feelings began to bubble up. Resentment, hurt, bitterness, hate. And he began to cry out to God saying, how can I get rid of this hate? I don't want to hate my father. And now he's dead. I don't want to keep hating him. And he said, all of a sudden, God gave me a vision of my father as a little boy. And he said, I saw my father as a little boy shaking and crying because his father was beating him. And I saw this hurt little boy who didn't know how to handle that pain, didn't know where to turn. And to numb the pain, he turned to alcohol and drugs. And he said, all of a sudden, I saw past my pain and I saw his pain. And he said, I felt like I touched my dad's life. And all of a sudden, I felt that I could forgive him. And I said, Dad, I forgive you. And he said, more than anything else at that moment, I wanted to be able to put my arms around my dad and say, Dad, I love you. I forgive you. And that experience of getting that hate out of his heart by looking past his pain to his dad's pain freed him up. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He looked past his pain to our pain. Then David wrote this song. The first verse, as I read to you, is the father's empty chair because his father was never there for him. He wasn't there for the ball games. He wasn't there for the graduations. He wasn't there for anything. It was an empty chair. The second verse, he is in the father's chair. And he's saying, I want that chair to be a place of love and acceptance where my kids can come knowing that 
The Father is in the chair, and there they can always find love and acceptance, and I want to be there for my children. The third verse, the Father, the perfect heavenly Father is in the chair. And he says, as much as I want to be there for my children, I won't always be there. I can't be a perfect father that they need. But there's the heavenly father who sits in the father's chair offering love and acceptance and forgiveness. And because of the fact that he loves us and that he accepts us and that he forgives us, frees us up, to love and accept and forgive ourselves and that frees us up to love and accept and forgive other people. And that means that the happiest, healthiest thing you can ever do is to forgive others. And unforgiveness will poison. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 